The biggest hurdle between me and eating healthy, delicious meals for lunch is decision fatigue. Honestly, by the time lunchtime rolls around, I've already made like a thousand decisions from what my toddler should wear to how much I want to argue with her about how you have to brush your teeth in the morning, you know? <laughs> for sure, for sure. No, I absolutely agree. And like I have taken to doing meal preps or like buying a bunch of ready to eat meals to like heat up quickly. And I recently tried Factor. And let me tell you, Factor is like 12,000 steps above and beyond any ready to meet eat meal I have ever tried before. That's right. Eating better is easy with Factor's delicious ready to eat meals. Every fresh, never frozen meal is chef curated, dietitian approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. And there are more than 60 add ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. What are you waiting for? Get started and get after your goals. I tried the two-minute meals where I could fuel up fast with Factor's restaurant-quality meals that are ready to heat and eat wherever you are. And they also offer pancakes, smoothies, and more. There's a wide variety of easy options throughout the entire day, like breakfast, midday bites, and more. Plus, there's no prep and no mess. Factor meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup required. Factor is also flexible for your schedule. You can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. Factor is the perfect solution when you're looking for fast premium options with no cooking required. And you don't want to make any more decisions because you're exhausted, like me. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Factor is less expensive than takeout and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. Head to factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 and use code justbreakup50 to get 50% off. That's code justbreakup50 at factormeals.com slash justbreakup50 to get 50% off. Hey, Sam, guess what? What? So over the weekend, Spencer and I finally figured out international shipping. <laughs> <laughs> The, Amazing. The thing that tricked us for like six months, we are are giving it a go. We are sh now shipping to Europe, Australia, and Canada as like a sort of test run. Um, mm -hmm. So now our lovely international Just Break Up listeners can get all of their Just Break Up merch to their heart's content from JustBreakUpPod.com right now. Awesome. Welcome to Just Break Up, the podcast about love, heartbreak, and all the relationship advice you don't want to hear. My name is Sierra DeMolder. And I'm Sam Blackwell. And this week, we're going to tackle topics like fixating on our partner's appearance, staying single after a breakup, and how to talk with our partners about cultural experiences that don't impact them. Mm. It's going to be it's going to be a lot. <laughs> when is it not? But yeah, exactly. <laughs> But before we begin, we just want to give you our Surgeon General's warning, which is that Sierra and I are not licensed mental health practitioners, doctors, social workers, mm -mm. just two English majors, one of whom is on a lot of Benadryl today, mm. so might be a little off during this episode. Giddy up. <laughs> yes, this is all to say we are not professionals, highly medicated though. <laughs> uh -huh, yep. Uh, and we uh, hope that you take our advice as you see fit. We are just here to offer our humble musing, selfish shed some understanding and maybe some laughs on the incredibly rewarding but mostly confusing experience that is love. 
Okay, Sam, so this week's check-in topic is inspired by a DM we got. Um, Oh, great. Yes, by a listener who basically described that they are dating somebody but recently went to a wedding and, like, hit it off with someone. And they describe it as, like, you know, they saw a different path. They got a glimpse Mm. into a different future um, Mm -hmm. or a different path that— that they could go down as a person in relationships if they weren't in this current one. And they, you know, they start their DM by saying, like, this makes me sound so selfish. And they're obviously struggling with a ton of, like, guilt over this. But essentially the question is, is it normal to see these other paths despite not wanting to act on them? Or is it a sign of lack of maturity slash that I am maybe not sure about giving it a go? the existing Mm. relationships. Um, So, yeah, I I thought it was an interesting check-in topic. Um, The idea of other paths and is it normal? Is it, does it make me a bad person? If I imagine these other paths when I come in contact with other people. Yeah, um, I'll say that I think it's very normal to consider other paths in front of you. Um, Whether that is even like, oh, I met this person and we really hit it off. And I I could imagine in a different world where I wasn't in a relationship, I would date this person or I would want to go on a date with this person. I also think it's also, there's like a lot of different ideas that come up for us in these situations too. Like, oh, I wonder what it would be like if I did choose to have children or yes. I wonder what it would have been like if I decided to stay in school instead of dropping out. I wonder what it would be like if I had not gone to grad school. Like, there's all sorts of situations where we might find ourselves sort of pondering a path in front of us. Um, But that doesn't mean that we're not happy with the path we're on. I mean, our brains are just wired to imagine possibilities. Yeah. So You know what? I always like other path, if we're going to make that a verb, which we are, Mm because I just did, is careers. I like always Mm. other path, like, well, what if I became a nurse or what if I became Mm -hmm. a teacher or something? I think that is like heavily fueled because I have a non-traditional career. So when I see other people in a more traditional mainstream career, it looks like a, I don't know, like a fun vacation or like a cosplay, you know, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> of yeah, like, sure. well, what would this be like? Um, you know, what if I was truly essential? <laughs> um, <laughs> You're uh, essential to me. Yeah, I know. Um, but uh, I, my mind naturally goes that place. But I think you were perfectly correct in saying it doesn't mean we don't like where we are. Or fuck, like maybe we don't. But, mm-hmm. you know, maybe we have problems with X, Y, and Z. But that that meandering that our brains do, I don't necessarily think it signifies automatic negativity or selfishness or like um mm. it doesn't signify a a guaranteed unhappiness in the current situation for sure absolutely because every relationship has opportunity costs right mm. we are when we are choosing to be in relationship with one person or multiple people whatever that is it means that we are giving up on other things that we could be doing both relationship wise right like You know, if you're in that monogamous relationship, you can't meet somebody at the bar and like sort of fall in love with them anymore. Like that's an opportunity cost that you're giving up. It might also be like maybe you can, but you maybe you won't go home with them. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) there you go. It's easy to Uh, fall in love with strangers this summer, right? (laughs) So true. Um, And there might be other opportunity costs too that aren't just like relationship oriented. Like you might decide 
well, we are together in this city. And so I'm yes. just going to live in this city for the rest of my life, even though I thought about moving somewhere else at some point. Or so uh, we need we need two incomes. Uh, and so I'm not going to go back to school and I'm going to continue working so that we can pay for like. That's just the reality of life is that there are an infinite number of options in front of us at any given moment. And when we choose one, that means we don't choose the other ones. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's not worth it. Right. right. Like Weighing those opportunity costs, I think, is super normal. And if the conclusion that you come to is still like, and it's worth it to stay with this person, to be in relationship with this person, um, then I, I say that that's, that's really healthy. Like, that's great. Yeah. Um, doesn't mean that you've doesn't mean that you're locked in, right? Doesn't mean that you're giving things up or you're settling. It just means right. that you are choosing this thing over all of these other things because you know this thing is really good for you. Yeah. And I might be reading between the lines in this DM, but I think a particular anxiety that's coming up for this person is like this is a new relationship that they're in or like a new go around. Um and I think, you know, in the beginning, you're like, you're, it feels more like a, a Y in the road, you know, or a fork in the road. It feels more like, oh, my God, I have to choose between these two paths. No, 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 no. Like, we're, we are on one path, right? And varying things can happen on that path. <laughs> mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. Um, I would just say, like, in that situation, sometimes we do have to, like, you know, buck up and, and say, well that person that I met at the wedding was like magical and new and interesting and like seemed so compatible, but this is the path I'm in and let's, let me see where it's going. And I don't, I don't mean that in like a shame enforcing way, just sort of like we are always presented with these, you know, these daydreams, these awesome new people. And I think it's particularly Mm. challenging when we are fresh in a relationship because that decision still, it's like cement that hasn't dried. You're like, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to erase it and write somebody else's name. (laughs) Uh Just like, don't, don't feel, don't let the, the newness of it make you panic, I guess is what I would say. Mm. If that Mm -hmm. makes any sense. (laughs) Absolutely. No, I think that's, that's great advice. Cool. All right, let's get into some letters this week. Thank you, Anonymous DMer, for trusting us with that. Awesome. All right, our first letter comes from Appearance Obsessed, who is writing from Confusionland. Hello, Sierra and Sam. I discovered your podcast a few months ago and just fell in love with it immediately. You two so effectively combine your deep insight and wisdom with humor and levity, and your podcast somehow allows me to confront the most challenging aspects of my relationship while also having fun and laughing a lot. So thank you. I, she, her, 25, am currently in a monogamous relationship of two years with an incredibly sensitive, kind, and supportive partner, he, him, 27, who I deeply love and care for. We have very similar values, interests, and goals, and I can picture having an incredibly rewarding and happy future with him. But there's one thing that I just keep getting hung up on. Before I go into what that thing is, I think it would be helpful for me to explain a bit about my personal history, since I think it might be influencing my current worries about my relationship. For nearly all of high school and the first few years of college, I struggled with body dysmorphia, anorexia, and low self-confidence. I was obsessed with looking perfect and went to great lengths to improve my appearance, most of which were really harmful to my mental and physical health. I constantly compared my physical appearance with other girls and would either feel relieved when I assessed that I was, quote, better looking than the people around me, or distraught and panicked when I thought about how I was worse looking. 
Fast forward to now, after years of meeting with therapists, dietitians, and psychiatrists, and I am in a much better, uh, healthy, positive, and confident space. I feel really good about my body most of the time and have been more or less free from my full-blown eating disorder for about five years. At least I thought I was free. During the last couple of years, I've noticed similar feelings and tendencies cropping up in my relationship. On my first date with my current partner, let's call him Aaron, we clicked immediately and had great chemistry. I wasn't immediately blown away by his looks, but I thought he was cute and I loved his energy and personality. As we continued to go on dates, I began to notice his little physical flaws, or what I perceived to be flaws, and found myself focusing on them every time we'd hang out. But I loved spending time with Aaron and still found him attractive a lot of the time when I wasn't zeroing in on his flaws. So we kept seeing each other and after a few months decided to become official. During the first few months of our official relationship, I found myself obsessing about Aaron's, quote, flaws more and more and constantly doubting whether or not I was attracted to him. The anxiety that accompanied these obsessions reminded me a lot of how I feel about my own appearance, how I felt about my own appearance in high school. But in this case, I couldn't use any of the compulsive behaviors I had used in high school to, quote, control my appearance since I had no control over Aaron's appearance. I silently tortured myself with my ambivalence about the situation. My feelings were so polarized. Part of me was falling deeply in love with Aaron, and the other part of me could only think about whether or not I was attracted to him. I did not want to talk to Aaron about these concerns because I knew how hurtful it would be, so I just kept them to myself. My anxiety around this issue was then exacerbated when I introduced Aaron to my sister, who afterwards told me that she thought that he wasn't, quote, as attractive as I was, and that he was, quote, too feminine. So problematic, I know. After this incident with my sister, I began obsessing even more and worrying that everyone I introduced him to would have the same reaction. When I brought him home to meet my parents and other siblings, my worst fears were confirmed again when, after Aaron left, they all told me that they thought I was, quote, too good for him, hinting that they thought I was better looking than he was. The messaging from my family about the importance of physical attractiveness was a major factor in me and all of my siblings developing eating disorders. So mm-hmm. having them comments on the physical attractiveness of my partner triggered some old and painful memories and feelings to come up again. After these experiences with my family, I worked with a the therapist to parse out what I thought about Aaron versus what other people thought about Aaron. I decided that I wanted to stay in the relationship and work through my issues around appearance, concluding that my fears and obsessions were coming from an unhealthy place. So I set clear boundaries with my parents and siblings around my relationship. We didn't talk about my relationship at all for over a year after I set these boundaries, which improved my relationship with my family members and with Aaron tremendously. Since then, I have felt almost no appearance-related anxiety and have truly felt happier and more at peace than I ever have before. But I am moving to another state in a few months, and as Aaron and I have talked about more about our futures together, he really wants to move with me. I feel the anxiety about his physical appearance bubbling back up. I find myself thinking about it almost every day, trying to figure out what attraction is, how much it matters in a relationship, and how, it's influ- and how influenced I am by my eating disorder history and the expectations of others as I make these evaluations about my partner's attractiveness and the future of our relationship. I also feel terrible for even considering breaking up since my only concern about our future relationship feels so shallow and out of line with my current values. Aaron and I generally have a really open, communicative relationship, so I feel super uncomfortable not telling him where I'm really at in our relationship and why I'm hesitant to have him move with me. But I know if the situation were reversed, I would be super hurt and triggered if my partner opened up to me about their appearance-related doubts. 
So I have never talked to him about it. I also don't want to bring it up with my family or friends because I worry I'll end up reading into everything I say and come away with believing that they all think Aaron is unattractive. I've been working on this issue with my therapist, but she tends to encourage me to listen to myself as I make decisions about my life, which is generally something that I really appreciate. The problem is that in this case, I don't know which part of, quote, myself I should listen to. The part that is telling me that I am just not attracted to Aaron and that this means we should break up or the part of me that feels like a deep connection to Aaron and desperately wants to stop obsessing about his flaws so we can just be happy together. I can't keep overthinking and obsessing like this forever because it's hurting me and it's hurting Aaron. What can I do to fix this? Or should we just break up? Am I a bad or shallow person for having these thoughts and feelings? Mm. How important is attraction and appearance in a relationship? And honestly, what the fuck is attraction anyways? Mm. I've overthought it to death and now I'm just confused. Any wisdom, guidance, or tough love would be much appreciated. Thank you both so much. Okay, appearance obsessed. Um, Thank you so much for writing, for listening, and for trusting us with this question. Out the gate, I got to tell you, you are not a bad person. You are just processing a lot of, like, triggering things right now. Tricky things, challenging things. Um, It's hard to—I don't want to minimize this by saying this, but it's just true. It's, it's like, hard to be a human (laughs) Mm -hmm. in our brains sometimes because we are presented and often also create these, you know, castles of— you know, life gives us troubles, and then we we have even more trouble processing those troubles in our brain. That's all I'm trying to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And you're not a bad person. You're just trying to process your way through this in a way that doesn't hurt anyone. Um, so I feel like we could go in a lot of it different directions, but I'd like to start this conversation by just talking about attractiveness. Um, because I think it's like an interesting thing to break down a little. Uh, when I was younger, I used to believe that attractiveness was physical and attractiveness was also something about charisma. You know, like I thought it had to mm-hmm. do with the shiniest fucking penny in that fountain, you know, mm-hmm. and the mm-hmm. loudest. <laughs> um, yes. And I think, and I also grew up thinking that attractiveness was what I owed to the world as somebody, um, as a, as a young woman. Um, I thought that I, I mean, to this day, it's funny. I like put on makeup to go to the post office as though I just, as though I owe that to the postal service. (laughs) Right. That's not true. I I owe them my patronage. (laughs) Yeah. I owe them my money, but not my, my foundation. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. What about you? What What are your like initial? What was your edification about attractiveness? Yeah, I think that that um, I think that that jives with what I was taught about attractiveness, and also that like attractiveness is innate too, right? Like just this idea that that we can't control our attractiveness, or that it's like somehow um, like embedded in us, like it's genetic in us, or something, like it's biologically mm. programmed. Um, and I don't, that has not been my experience in life, you know, as a full grown adult is that like my attractions have changed over the years and totally. like there are things I was super into when I was 19 years old that I'm now like, no, thank you. I don't, I yeah. don't need that. Um, and so I do think that like 
there's an opportunity for you to like work on understanding what your attractions are and like and be open to the possibility that those might change and as you get really as you continue to grow your intimate emotional relationship with this man with Aaron um it's very possible that the physical stuff is going to follow too because that in my experience is often what happens is that it's yeah. like I'm really attracted to you as a person and and now I'm like also very attracted to you physically yeah and it it sounds like it is happening. I want to extend the conversation about what is attraction also to include non-physical traits. Like we think about attraction as solely um, as solely two people looking at each other and like grading each other, you know. Right. Um, yep. But attraction can be energy like forgive the, me, but attraction can totally be energetic. Like how many times have you ever mm-hmm. heard people talk about like their couple you know, how they met or whatever, and they say we were t- 100% drawn to each other. You know, mm-hmm. attraction can be um, you uh, loving to watch them talk, what they say, how their mind works, how their mind mm. problem solves. Um, attraction can be their abilities or their the way they caretake for you or, you know, watching them cook breakfast. You know, I feel like there are so many things that I'm attracted to, like, Oh, I'm so attracted to like competency. Like when somebody mm. is really good good at something. Um, I love when people have passions and that they're skilled. You know what I mean? For sure. And this is just to, I guess, remind everyone or to open the conversation to include um, a more nebulous definition of attraction. Um, mm. Because right now, um, my darling letter writer, you are trying to fit um the your attraction to your partner into a very very slim and rigid definition of what attraction is and if you open mm. up those uh, if you open up that definition if you if you open it up to that more nebulous boundless definition then your love and attraction and appreciation for your partner fits so that would be my first first piece of advice yeah and i also think that um you know, it sounds like you've done a lot of work on yourself around um, your own appearance and sort of getting into a mindset of loving yourself and not caring what other people might think of you. Like, it sounds like you put a lot of head and heart work into that. And I think that that's wonderful. Um, and those same tools are available to you also when you think about your partner, right? Like, yeah. I don't know what Aaron looks like. I don't know what you look like. But there's nothing wrong with having mismatched levels of physical attractiveness in a relationship. Like it's right. not it's not embarrassing. It's not like it's not it's incredibly in any common. Way. Absolutely. And so, like the fact that your sister thinks that he's not as attractive as you are is meaningless, right? Yes. Like it, in the end of the day, it doesn't matter. I can understand. I don't want to say that like you yeah, shouldn't yeah, be feeling yeah, yeah, anything yeah. about it because like that's a rude thing for your sister to say, in my opinion. Um, yeah, we'll get back to that. But I, yeah, right. But the fact that other people might look at you and say like, oh, this is a mismatched level of attractiveness doesn't impact your relationship, right? Like who cares what those people think? They don't have some sort of secret knowledge of you that like they think like that you're somehow pathetic for being in a relationship with the person who isn't as conventionally attractive right. as you, right? right? Like it's not, their opinions of it don't matter, they it, they don't right because right. if you if you like your partner and you find him attractive and you want to be with him like that's really the only thing that that's important in this situation right. that's what that that's what matters to Sam and I and to add to that attractiveness is one hundred percent 
subjective. It is 100% subjective. Uh-huh. Yep. Sam and I have different tastes. We, we find different things attractive. And that is the same for every other human on the planet. And that's sort of like um, digging your heels into the idea that attractiveness isn't subjective is oppressive. Mm-hmm. It's oppressive because it is, it's, can, sure. it's, it's rooted to oppressive systems, right? To say like, oh, well, right. there's this white European um, thin version of what attractive is. It, 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 mm-hmm. it all aligns with that. Um, while I'm on that note, though, I just don't want to say like when we in this episode, when we're talking about like dismantling that within ourselves, that is not at all to say that that beauty standards, oppressive beauty standards and the pressures that they that they and the toxic behaviors that they instill in us and our family members and our society mm-hmm. don't exist. Don't want to. I don't want to spend time on that because we all know that that's true. But I guess I want mm-hmm. to nod to that. While I'm also saying, like, attractiveness of sub- is subjective. Um, make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, so I think it's important to remember in these types of situations, too, that, like, not only are those beauty standards oppressive, but also your own experience with those beauty standards has been really problematic for you, too, right? right? Like, the fact that your parents are so fixated on physical appearance and the way that that affected your mental health, the way that that is clearly showing up in your siblings' mental health too, because like, I would never tell my sister that her boyfriend is not as attractive as her. Like, yeah, that's like I would a just weird, be happy that she has a back a boyfriend that she loves. It's actually just like yeah. really sick and hurting. Right. Yep. And so remembering that so that you can do the internal work to dismantle those systems because they are harmful on an, a societal level and they are also harmful in your interpersonal relationships with your family and your own relationship with yourself, right? So yeah, remembering that there is no such thing, like attractiveness is a social construct and yet it is very real in its consequences. And so what can you do in your own work to say like, My boyfriend doesn't have flaws. He is just a person who has like a body that is like a body, right? Like it's not that it's not that our bodies have flaws in any ways, right? It is our bodies are right. We need to reframe that to say like we all have different aspects of our bodies that make us unique. We have all have different aspects of our bodies that might bring us pride, that might bring us pain. But there are we're. It's impossible for our bodies to be flawed because there is no such thing as a perfect body. There is right. no like there is no ideal that we're working There's towards. There's no and body so with a have... deficit. That's what I think of when I when I'm yeah. picturing what you're saying. I just think of like, oh well, if my nose wasn't like this and my tits were bigger and da da da, da all of that feels mm-hmm. like points off, you know, like uh, and I got to make up for it somehow. And that is mm-hmm. not real. I mean, it is for real, sure. you know, like in our brains, but right. But there is no there's no ideal that we're trying to compare ourselves to, right? right? It just doesn't exist. It is made up in our heads. And so reframing that to to move away from this, I'm so fixated on my partner's flaws and instead be like, here are the things that I really love about him. Here are the things about him that I'm really attracted to might make it easier for you to not sort of fixate mm. on this thing. Yeah. It seems to me like he's a really great person and you love him and want to be yeah. with him. So um. I love, you know, I how love, can you not let this get in the way of that love yeah. that you have for him? Two things. I love the idea of like reframing the ideas. These aren't his flaws. It's he doesn't have flat physical flaws. I am putting 
my pain and perception of his need to be something on him and creating those flaws. Mm, you know what I mean? Sure. Uh, and and yep. again, that's not to meant that's not meant to like evoke shame in you, letter writer. Um, the other thing is when you were talking, I was realizing I keep going back and forth because we're like the beauty standard's not real, but it is, <laughs> but it isn't. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm going to rephrase myself and say these standards are real and oppressive and how we can dismantle them. That's let's use that word, <laughs> how we can dismantle sure. them or, or give them less power is by dismantling these ideals in our head and how we treat ourselves mm-hmm. and how we treat others. One way you can do that. Um, my darling is I read somewhere that like our first response to things is what we were taught in childhood or Mm. or is our trauma response or is the toxic behavior that we um learned from our youth or from when we were younger or whatever our first thought is oh my god i'm ugly right that's our first thought Mm -hmm. when we look in the mirror but our second thought is our more authentic more chosen more more earned more practiced thought hypothetically Mm -hmm. um so the second thought is, no, I'm beautiful. I look beautiful today, right? And if we can start to recognize the, those first thoughts and disempower them by giving ourselves the opportunity to have that second formulated, educated, like self-educated, autonomous thought, right? So the first thought is, if I keep dating this person, I'm going to bring him around and my family's going to keep stressing me out because they think he's less attractive second thought i love my boyfriend i'm attracted to who he is as a whole being my family can think what they can they think but it's not going to affect the way i feel about this treasured person of mine Mm -hmm. and i know that my attractiveness and my partner's attractiveness is not a debt that I owe to my loved ones. Because I want to take a yeah. moment to talk about, like, Sam, like, nodded at this earlier. But that there's some intense toxicity oozing from those interactions with your family. And no judgment to them because I don't know them. I don't know mm-hmm. the scenario of them. I don't know their trauma and their pain. Um, mm-hmm. But that is a really weird way to support a loved one. Um, and it's obviously had really triggering ripple effects on your life. And so I want to challenge you not to not to take your relationship and see how you can make your life and relationship fit better into that toxic mold. How can you break away from that toxic mold? How can you mm. grow your love and relationship and your life outside of the toxic requirements of your family? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... Um, what I don't want you to do is enact that trauma on Aaron too. Yeah. Right? Like I don't think it's it's a good idea for you to talk to him about these things, especially if the things you're fixating on are elements of his appearance that he has no control over. Yeah. Because that is a hard, hard thing to hear. And you know this. It's right? a deep wound. You yeah. know this because you have been told by your parents and your sister and your sisters or your siblings. Obviously, that that there is something physically wrong with you and that there are things you should be doing to to make yourself physically more, quote unquote, perfect. And so I appreciate that you want to share with him about what you're going through and that you probably feel really isolated because you don't know who to talk to. Like that's coming through in your letter. But I can't imagine a way of talking about this that isn't going to deeply hurt him in the ways that you've been hurt. Right. And so. 
I would say I don't think that this is a conversation that you should have with him. I think that this is something that you should continue to work on with your therapist. Um, because I just, I don't, I can't imagine a scenario where when you talking about aspects of his appearance that you can't change and how that is impacting your relationship and your attraction to him is going to is going to end well for him. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, that's a tricky one for me because it, like Sam said, we don't want you to feel isolated. We don't want you to feel like you're carrying it all on your shoulders. Um and uh, we so often we say talk to your partners, talk to your partners, but I agree wholeheartedly with Sam on this one even though it's complicated and nuanced that mm-hmm. there's just no way that wouldn't be like a lifelong wound, you know? Um mm-hmm. The last thing I want to say really quickly, which will be contradictory to everything I've already said. Oh, great. Yeah. I just want to say is at the end of the day, if this, if you cannot make your relationship work because you are not attracted to your partner, you are not a bad person. And that is Mm -hmm. enough of a reason to say, I don't want to build my life with you. Mm -hmm. I know that that's hard. And honestly, everything from your letter tells me that this is a really healthy whole relationship that's worth pursuing and work worth like the way you talk about how you feel when you are not feeling those like toxic when you're not listening to those toxic voices from your family you know or from your trauma you feel really happy and free and that's that's Mm -hmm. who I want you to be right um but I also don't want you to listen to this and go home and just and feel stuck in a relationship you don't want to be in because you can't make it work so, Absolutely. There. We've got other episodes about like how to break up. <laughs> so <laughs> And I just want to say before we before we end this letter, um, recognizing that, you know, we we might have put a lot on you because like, right, dismantling the beauty industrial complex <laughs> yeah. is like not necessarily your job as an individual. Um, and also there is always work that we can be doing as individuals to change our own mindsets in the way that we encounter the world. But I also just want to call out how challenging and difficult that is when you've been taught so many harmful things about your body and other people's bodies, right? Like, I don't want you to come away from this thinking, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm upholding these standards in my head. We all Um, do it. We all do it. And you especially, right? This is especially triggering and traumatic for you because of the ways that your family treated you and the things that they instilled in you. So I don't want you to say, I don't want you to be thinking about these things and say, oh, I'm a bad person because I'm I'm fixating on these things. I want you to give yourself the opportunity to do something different, right? Yeah. To say, like, I'm not a bad person for fixating on this because I've been taught to. And what am I going to do differently? I, now that I'm aware of the fact that I don't want this toxicity in my life, I don't want to be um, led by it. I don't want it to be the way that I live my life. What are some intentional choices that I'm going to make in order to not make it so meaningful for me? Absolutely. How can you find that freedom? All right, my darling, thank you so much for writing um, Appearance Obsessed. We hope that this helps. We hope that this is a little bit of a salve to this um, wound that I know is really, really uh, weighing on you right now. Absolutely. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. We love you. All right, y'all know that Sam and I record every single episode of Just Break Up virtually. So I literally see this beautiful person on Zoom like multiple times a week. And every time Sam pops up into Zoom, I comment on their outfit. And I swear, like 99% of the time, I'm like, oh my God, that outfit is so cute. Where did you get it? Sam says Quince. 
You too can upgrade your wardrobe with luxury essentials at unbeatable prices. Quince is here to transform the way you shop with a range of high quality items priced within reach. That's right. They have 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. And the best part, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middle person and passes that saving on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Y'all have heard me talk about my leather bag that I use as both a laptop bag and a diaper bag. And I love it because, (laughs) (laughs) honestly, it looks really cute in every single circumstance that I use it. Indulge in affordable luxury. Go to quince.com slash just break up for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash just break up to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash just break up. All right, head and heart workers, you know, I'm all about tackling our money shame and becoming fiscally empowered, regardless of how much money we make or how much debt we have. I think it's such a crucial step in our own self-acceptance and empowerment. That's why I love that today's episode is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. With Rocket Money, you can see all of your subscriptions in one place. And if you see something you don't want, you can just cancel it with a tap. You never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over $500 million in canceled unwanted subscriptions. And listen, we always talk to you about like conflict styles and open and honest communications, but honestly, save your energy and get Rocket Money to cancel those subscriptions for you. <laughs> Stop wasting yeah. you money. You don't need to practice that. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do head and heart work with like customer service representatives. You know what I mean? Like just like... Use the middle person. (laughs) Just get Rocket Money in there to help you do what you need to do. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. That's rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. Rocketmoney.com slash justbreakup. All right. The next letter comes to us from SM, who is writing to us from The Void. Dear JBU, thank you so much for the podcast. Let me dive right in because I have a lot of feelings to report. (laughs) Oh, great. Me too. After binging the pod hard for about four months, I just broke up. I, I, 34 female, was with my partner, 33 female, for about two years. I hate to use the word toxic, but that is what the relationship had become as I realized my partner would not stop crossing my boundaries. She was very insecure and accused me of having feelings for each of my close friends at one point or another. It affected my friendships, my family, my work relationships, everything. Before this relationship, I had just divorced my ex-wife. We had been together for six years. She was an alcoholic 
which progressed rapidly after our wedding. I stayed for 2.5 years in the marriage, trying to be a supportive partner, but ultimately had to choose my own sanity. I'm so excited to have finally found a queer therapist, and I started with them a few months ago. Even before therapy, I knew I had a tendency to let my partners cross my boundaries. I saw the good in my partner, loved her so, so much, and hoped she would grow with my support and stop hurting me in both relationships. Of course, this did not happen. I have been doing the, quote, head and heart work, as you nerds say. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, to better understand what I need in a partner. I'm feeling so frustrated that after eight years in relationships, I find myself alone again. I just want to find my partner. I'm disappointed because I thought I'd have that by now. I wish I could redo the past 15 years, but alas, I face the present. My friends and family think I should stay single for a while, that to find a relationship, you should stop looking and love yourself. I loathe this feedback. They have seen me go through the past two relationships and want to protect me. They tried protecting me from my most recent ex, and it sucked. They let me know we started dating too soon and doubted the relationship the entire time, which hurt. I know they are trying to keep me from getting hurt, but they haven't done that. They can't do that. They won't accept that. Already, my friends have told me I need to stay single for at least six months. They're checking in on me to make sure I haven't downloaded the dating apps. Whether I date or stay single for six months is up to me. Like I said, right now I'm taking the time to do the head and heart work and focus on me. However, other than looking at the person I date more critically and working on childhood relationship behaviors that I need to unlearn, I'm feeling pretty happy about who I am. This is why I loathe that my friends tell me to stop looking and love myself. Like, my life is awesome. You think I don't love myself? I do. I have a great job, which I love and kick ass at. My work-life balance is dope. I live in a great spot by the mountains where I've been able to take up new sports. I have a few close friends who I cherish and some new friends who I continue growing my circle in this relatively new city with. I live a few states away from my family and a one-year-old nephew who I adore. And now the pandemic is passing. I get to visit them every other month. I continue to grow each year and accept that my life is constant work in progress. But all things considered, I'm proud of who I am. And I'm happy with where my life has led me outside of romantic relationships. Yes, I've spent the last eight years in shitty relationships. But no, they weren't shitty 100% of the time. And no, that doesn't mean I've spent eight years not working on myself and not growing. I definitely didn't love myself as much as I should have as I didn't respect my own boundaries. But I've been very consciously working on that. I'm so sick of everyone feeling like they need to look out for me. I'm only about a month out of my breakup and I'm not ready to date yet. However, I'm already anxious for when I am. I know I'm not going to want to wait six months. And I know I'm going to get shit from my friends and family if I start dating someone before six months. Even if I waited eight months, I think that my friends and family will not trust my new relationship. My therapist doesn't necessarily agree with my friends that I should stay single. They say I could get on dating apps whenever I want. My friends don't need to know that you can work on yourself even if you're in a relationship. That I, when I feel ready is when I'm ready. On the other hand, I do feel like a fool for not having any desire to remain single. I'm thrilled with my newfound freedom, but also feel like when I'm with my, quote, perfect partner, she won't restrict me in the ways past partners have, and I won't feel trapped in the first place. People tell me to take advantage and travel, but I've traveled alone before and it makes me anxious. I want to find a partner who will go with me. Why do I have to feel ashamed about that? 
It's not that I need another person to make me happy. I love my life. I am happy. I just have always wanted to share my life with someone. That's how I pictured it. And I don't want to give up. And I don't want to put myself on hold just because my friends say so. So like I said, a lot of feelings to sort through here. Let me try to get to some sort of intelligible question. How soon is too soon to start dating again? Can I tell my friends and family to back off? How can I get them to trust my choices? How do I get them to support my relationships off the bat, even if they think it's too soon? I need their expectations and skepticism to go away. Please help. Best S. Thank you so much for writing S and for trusting us with this question. And congratulations on your newfound singlehood. Absolutely. It's always a good thing when we get out of toxic relationships. So I'm so happy for you. (laughs) And I think you know this um, because there were inklings of it in your letter. But like you said, you didn't waste your time in those relationships and you're not on the wrong Mm. path. There is no wrong path. You're just like on a path where things are happening to you. And you tried to make it work with these two people and you couldn't. And then you had the amazing, brave you know, profound uh, strength to say, nope, I don't want to be in this place anymore. I want to seek better happiness, even if it is alone. So bravo to you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, Sierra and I are never fans of hard and fast rules. And so there is no reason why you can't just immediately go into another relationship if you want to, right? You are the expert in your own experience. You know what you want to be doing and what you're capable of. Um, Appreciate that that's what your therapist said as well, that you can sort of, you're not beholden to what your friends and family want you to do. You are an individual person who is autonomous and can make decisions about her own future. Um, And, you know, we talk about, you know, being single to help sort of build the practice of self-love. Um, But like you said, that doesn't mean that self-love, the growth of self-love doesn't come or doesn't mean that self-love can't come from relationships as well, right? You can be in relationship and deeply love yourself uh, and not be trying to fill a void of some sort. Right. And so, you know, if you've been doing a lot of work in that space um, and feel like you are equipped to be able to to be in relationship with other people, then like you are the expert there. Yeah, totally. I I think my primary piece of advice is, is to reiterate sort of what your therapist and Sam said, which is just, I guess, shifting your mentality from one away from, um, I don't know, like that you're not like a pottery project that needs to be fully cooked in the kiln before <laughs> sure. you're taken yeah. out. You yeah. know what I mean? Or maybe Uh like a baking metaphor would be good there. That like the one, I guess this isn't the only piece of advice I want to say. And it sounds like it has already been reiterated by your therapist. But I want to push against the idea that like you can be fully prepared to have a good relationship. That that, like that is there are steps that you need to take. Um, so that you will be perfect and then you're going to meet the perfect partner and you two will then have perfect love together, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, But the reality is we will never be 100% prepared to meet our next great love. We will never Mm -hmm. have all of the tools required to have a 100% ease-filled 
perfect relationship because that relationship doesn't exist. You know how much I have learned in the past three years with my wife. You know how, you know how staggering, like I used to, I met with, I reconnected with my wife at the perfect time. I felt like I was at the mm. right place in my life. I had the right tools. I had, I was in the right mindset, you know, blah, 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 the right boundaries. Looking back, you know how staggeringly unprepared I was for the lessons that we would learn together. And we don't have a hard relationship. We don't have to work hard <laughs> to make mm-hmm. our relationship work. And yet still, I've learned so much. I have, I have so many more tools in my tool belt through this relationship. And I share all of that just to reiterate this idea that we are ever-changing, ever-growing, ever-evolving beings, and that there is there is something to be said about taking time to learn by yourself and also, at the same time, we have no control over this, like, universal timing of things, and we will never be fully prepared. Mm-hmm. I do want to mm-hmm. talk about, like, what does it mean to take time to be single, though, <laughs> which is, like, in complete opposition okay. for what I just said. Maybe you could ease us in that direction. <laughs> sure, yeah. No, I do think that um, some of the the things that are helpful about being single is that it cuts away some of the patterns that we might have around um, when we're in partnerships, right? And where we can easily distract ourselves from our own needs because we are trying to meet the need of our partners. Um, and so I do think that there is a benefit in many ways to, to being single for a while because, you know, you listed all of the great things about your life and how you love your life. And what about yourself too, right? Like what if you didn't have that kick-ass job? What if you didn't mm. have this this house that you love? Uh, what if you, you know, didn't have this work-life balance, right? Would you still love yourself even in those moments, even if all of those other things about your life that you love so much aren't in place? And are you going to love yourself even if you don't find that perfect partner, right? Mm. Because it seems like that's really what you're looking for is understandably, like you want to spend your life with someone and that's that's great, Um, and you have a life full of rich abundance, even without that partner. Mm. And I think that that is what, what being single helps us to remember is that we are not incomplete. We don't need a partner in order to be, um, whole people who have rich experiences and rich lives. Um, and so I know that that is something that I had to learn when I was moving out of relationships into my own singleness. I had to learn how to love myself and take care of myself without a partner there. I had Mm. to learn that I was as, I was as um, worthy of the love and care and compassion I was giving my partners um, and giving that to myself and that I didn't have to wait for a partner to come into my life to do the things that I wanted to do as Mm. well. So that's really why I think, we always advocate or we often advocate for folks to spend some time single right. because I think it does it doesn't influence us in our relationships to be more focused on sort of the the dynamic of two people coming together and not just on sort of trying to meld each other into our our lives right like yes. not trying to like become the other person or or the partnership with that other person I think that's so great to remember that like I love what you said about outside of the structure of a relationship, we are free to, I don't don't remember how you said it, but just, you know, we are free to practice new ways of being. And maybe that Mm -hmm. is 
what your friends are tr- and family are trying to advocate for you. They're not, mm-hmm. you know, I think that I, I have felt very, sim- as a chronic monogamist, I have felt mm-hmm. similar shame that you're feeling. And maybe you're not, maybe it's not shame for you. Maybe it's just frustration. But for me, it would immediately be shame cloaked in frustration, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. because I would feel like their commentary would be reiterating the narrative that I can't take care of myself, that I'm a hot mess, that I make terrible yeah. choices, that I'm a bad person mm-hmm. because I have yeah. failed in these ways. And I just want right. to say, like, this is not your, this is not your friends trying to give you this advice. It's it's not sh- them trying to shame you, even if that's what that feels like. It is coming from your family and your closest friends. So it is love and action. They're trying to mm. do their best to pass on their opinions to you. I agree with you, though, um, as in what you say about, like, they can't protect you. No, they can't. But they do, mm-hmm. as your loved ones, have a right to say X, Y, and Z. As sure. you have a right to vulnerably come to them and say, hey, all this commentary about what I can and cannot do is making me feel like you guys think I'm broken and incapable, right? For There's sure. a middle ground here. There's a middle ground to where your friends can care um, and have opinions about your life, but you can also comment on the way that they're presenting that opinion so repeatedly <laughs> and aggressively. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I think that that is super true. And you can have that conversation with them. And I would also just say that there, sometimes when the folks, all of the folks around us who love us are saying something that's similar to what everyone else is saying, it might be an opportunity to to sit and listen, right? Because there are sometimes things about our own experience that we can't see from the inside and having people who love you say, I think it would be great for you to spend some time alone or before you jump into another relationship, sort of get your feet under you because you've Mm. been in sort of these toxic relationships for the past eight years, even though, as you say, they weren't always shitty. But I do think that there is, there is wisdom in our loved ones telling us something. And sometimes it can behoove us to listen to that, even if we at the end of the day are like, it's my decision and I'm going to do what I want to do because that is true. It is your decision and you can do what you want to do. But I know that in my life, there have been times when friends or others or family have told me something that I didn't want to hear or that I disagreed with. And I wish that I had gone back and listened to them (laughs) in in almost every case, right? In almost every case, they saw something about the situation that I couldn't see because I was too deeply in it. Yeah, uh, yes. (laughs) And I started there only because I think I would feel the same defensiveness that S is feeling. And also, I have deeply struggled to define myself as myself and not as somebody's partner. So, like, Mm -hmm. what you would be wishing for me, Sam, my friend, is the same thing that I think their friends, you know, S's friends are wishing for them. I think I will say it's a complicated thing because there are lots of emotions going on right now. But now, you know... My big takeaway would probably be just reminding you that you are not running out of time. This is not something you're failing at. This is not something, there's no scarcity that's happening right now. The world is Mm -hmm. abundant with love and abundant with people 
who you can meet and and have relationship with when you're ready to put yourself out there. I it is a unique opportunity to experience this world um just for yourself, to make it all about you, to make it all mm-hmm. about who am I in this world by myself. So I don't know. I mean like to be honest as somebody who was like chronically monogamous and am now married. <laughs> um uh-huh. I wish I had more single years, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I don't know. I feel conflicted because, well, this is a perfect example of like more than one thing can be true at the same time. One, your friends mm-hmm. probably have your best interests at heart. They are not commenting upon you as a person. They're just trying to like lend their emotional hand or whatever Two, sure. it can be, stressful to have your to have to feel like your friends and families are so deeply invested in how your life plays out in a specific way and that you could potentially mm-hmm. disappoint or frustrate them if you did something else hey totally stressful situation three you're never going to be fully prepared or fully healed or fully ready to love and date someone that is a fallacy that we you know it's a fallacy of perfection that we put ourselves up to four Taking time to intentionally be single is is a gift that we can give ourselves. So all of mm-hmm. those things can be true at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. What is your instinctual takeaway piece of advice for this person? I, my advice to you is to recognize that you are, that your friends and families might be pushing you in a certain direction, but you are, as you say in this letter, able to make your own decisions about what you want to do. And nobody is saying that you can't do that, right? People are, I would like to think that your friends are just trying to tell you something that they think that you need to hear. Yeah. And when that happens for me, I might, uh, almost always my initial response is defensiveness, but that is not necessarily because it wasn't something I needed to hear. It's because it was something I didn't want to hear. Yeah. And so would just encourage you to recognize that like they're not saying that you're not an adult who can't make her own decisions they are just trying to help you see that the past eight years of your life have been sort of in this this well of toxicity and also good things that are happening at the same time and that there might be an opportunity for you to pause because when we pause we have time to reflect learn more about ourselves learn more about the things that we're asking for take the time to be intentional about what we want to do next and so I'm not saying that you need to wait six months. I'm not saying you need to wait 12 years, but I would encourage you to really think about how you can intentionally pause in this moment mm. to support yourself in making a decision in the future that's going to be right for you. And you can tell your friends to bug off. You can also give your friends more grace because I think they're doing this out of love for you, even mm-hmm, if it doesn't feel mm-hmm. like it. But at the end of the day, it's exactly what your therapist says, which is that you're going to know when it is time to do it. Um, and you can take your friend's advice as you see fit. Yeah, I agree. SM, we hope that this helps. And we hope that we absolutely y- you have uh you find somebody when the time is right. Thanks for writing. Absolutely. Thank you so much. We love you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Our next letter comes from Pocahontas should have picked Cocoum, who is writing from Disappointing My Ancestors. Hi, Sim and Sierra. Firstly, I want to thank you both for being Geminis because I think it's really making a change in the unjustified hate against our Zodiac sign. (laughs) (laughs) Secondly, I'd like to thank you for being two genuinely caring people who push me and all of your listeners to really evaluate myself, how I treat others, and what treatment I am accepting. I am so grateful to have had Spotify randomly recommend you one day, even even though all I listened to before was True Crime Podcast. I am a bisexual indigenous woman dating a white man. He, him, we'll call him John Smith, John for short. And we've been together for about five and a half years since we were 17. We have gone through a lot together, including two years long distance, some cheating on his part in the past, which we have mostly worked through, and I don't really worry about it anymore. And essentially just growing into our adult selves together. I think of him as my best friend in a lot of ways, as Mm -hmm. I feel so comfortable around him and we know so much about each other. My problem is this. Since the beginning, his family has made some joking comments that are borderline racist towards me. While my family also has a deadpan and occasionally, let's say, aggressive sense of humor, their comments toward me, especially as non-Indigenous people, made me really uncomfortable, and I've tried to laugh it off. He's extremely close with his family, and they're really important to him. But after dealing with it for years, I essentially told him that I wasn't comfortable being around them except for special occasions because of the comments they've made about me for my culture and political views. I'm liberal, they're conservative, and while I don't bring anything up out of respect for my partner and not wanting to put him in the middle, they have sometimes commented on my social media to argue with me about my views. Trigger warning in this next part for genocide. You may have heard that o- that recently over 1,300 children were found in mass graves at residential schools across Canada, including the one where my grandparents were forced to go. Mm. I don't get, I won't get into specifics about what happened at these schools since people can Google it if they want, and I don't want to trigger anyone. But it was pretty horrific. And in short, these were schools where children were taken from their families with for the intention of kill the Indian, save the man. Stories of severe abuse at these schools are common. I have been really struggling with this and grieving the loss of my relations and the immense pain that my Indigenous people have felt over decades and centuries of not knowing what has happened to their children. I have been active in sharing information on social media, and long story short, my partner's mom has now been deleted because she once again tried to tone police me for sharing information, not even captioning, just literally sharing, about the residential schools and the Indigenous experience in general. My partner supports me removing his family from my social media and is actually the one who told me to do it. But when I called him about this last incident, I feel like he was just over it. Over this ongoing issue with me and his family, as this scenario has played out many times. He's told them to stop. He says, I have never been present for that, but I believe it. And they don't. And now it's to the point where I don't want to play pretend and be nice with them. So he is basically the only sibling out of six that shows shows up without their partner. He's also Catholic, which is also a bit of a point of contention because the schools were mostly run by the Catholic Church, and he gets upset when I mention this, but I am unwilling to ignore the role that they played in this violence. Mm-hmm. When I talk to him about how I feel as an indigenous woman, it sometimes feel like feels like he is tired of talking about it, that he's over it and wishes I wouldn't talk about it with him anymore. I had mentioned to him that a new gravesite had been found, the largest so far, because I kind of wanted to talk about it, and then he just said, yeah, I saw that. And I felt based off of his tone that it wasn't a conversation he wanted to have. 
When I called about this recent issue with his mom, I began crying and told him that I'm just so tired of feeling like people don't care about what happened. And he told me, well, people don't care unless it's actually impacting them. And I just feel so disconnected. I genuinely don't believe what he said. I stand with Black Lives Matter, even though it doesn't impact me, and donate to organizations when I can to help that. And I would like to believe that I'm not special in that regard. It's just my human duty to care about the experiences of others. At the same time, I understand that this is a heavy topic and also is related to his faith, and I don't want to bulldoze his boundaries if he's uncomfortable talking about it. My question is, how do I talk to my partner about my cultural and personal experiences that he has not and will never be impacted by? I also run into this issue sometimes as the female or queer experience that he doesn't understand. And it seems like I'm never explaining it in a way that he will understand, so we Mm -hmm. just don't talk about it. How do I open up this conversation to explain to him why it's so important to me to be able to talk about this with my partner? Is it fair of me to ask that of him? Is it possible for us to continue a relationship in which I will never be able to really have a relationship with his family in the way that he wants because of our differing views of social and political issues? If not, how do I end a long-term relationship because of what comes down to our races? I hope that this makes sense. I'm usually great at organizing my writing, but I'm feeling very emotional and also Loki dying in this current heat wave. (laughs) So my brain is feeling a little baked and not in the way that I like. Thank you both so much for taking the time to read this. I am truly so grateful for your unprofessional but loving and thoughtful advice when you both have helped this middle child, problem solver, people pleaser, confused Gemini more than you know, especially when it comes to understanding my own trauma, recognizing my unhealthy behaviors, and coming to terms with my sexuality. I love you. Wishing you all the best. Pocahontas should have picked Cocoa. Oh, Pocahontas, thank you so much for writing and for trusting us. Two strangers um, with this um, grief and heartache and and trouble that you're carrying right now. First, I just mm-hmm. want to like call um, or create space to acknowledge your grief and acknowledge how huge it is and um, how sorry we sorry we are that you have that this is something that you have to process. This grief is staggering and unfathomable mm-hmm. to so many people, and yet you and your family and your ancestors um, have been forced to heal and carry and re- and now relive this trauma, um, a trauma that is beyond horrific. Um, uh, it is truly unhuman. Um, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, I just want to like say that if I don't say that, then I'm not honoring your humanity, which is, I think is the core of this question. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think it is um, really hard to not be seen by your partner and not have your partner sort of understand and want to um, grapple with the experiences that you've had um, and the culture that you're part of, right? Like this is really challenging and, um, and a, a unique type of pain to sort yes. of feel this, this inability to get your partner to understand just how big and impactful this is for you. It's its yeah. not just about newspaper headlines, right? It's about the realities of your family and your relatives. Um, Generational significant, trauma. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, and not just in a physical way of, of, of folks dying, right? But also of this way of the erasure 
intentional erasure of your culture and and yes. the things that that ground you to who you are and and where you come from. So I can only imagine how challenging that is to want to talk to the person that you love, your your best friend and have him either not understand it or intentionally sort of prioritize his own comfort over yes. the reality that you're going through. Yeah. And I want to say like quick caveat, um I know your boyfriend is a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I want to make space in this conversation specifically for the fact that you may be explaining yourself perfectly. You write, mm-hmm. I feel like I am never explaining it in a way for him to understand. I feel like I'm saying it, you know, so, so instead we avoid it or he responds in a way that disappoints me. So it must be how I am explaining it to him. I'm too emotional mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever it is. And I think that you are, I want to give you permission to, to believe that you are explaining your own lived experience perfectly. It is mm-hmm. that some people are, in, are for whatever reasons, are incapable or are subpar, let's say, because nobody's incapable um, of returning that humanity, right? Maybe... Mm-hmm. It makes him deeply uncomfortable. Maybe he doesn't know the words. Maybe it's not his fucking love language. There are a million reasons, right? And, you know, some of them can definitely be traced to um, white supremacy. (laughs) But they can also be traced to people's, like, actual communication styles, right? But I want... More importantly, less about him and more about you. You are articulating yourself just fine. I I Mm. want to give you permission in this letter to to stop um, censoring yourself or feeling like you are too much. Um, You write, is it possible for us to continue a relationship in which I will never be able to really have a relationship with his family the way he wants? Is that something you want? I mean, Mm. I know this is hard. I know this is weighing on you, and it is not the natural path for so many of us to, to, to protect ourselves, to respect ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. But you are taking these small, amazing steps to honor your, your experience, to protect yourself. And yeah, honestly, you can have a relationship with this man going forward and not have a relationship with his problematic family. Like it will be Mm -hmm. tricky the way that many relationships are, but I just want to, I guess I just want to make space for like, yes, yes. Everything you want in this letter is a hundred percent valid and a hundred percent real. That's what I want to say to you is that you Mm -hmm. have the red right, the human right to be wholly and uniquely understood and honored. That's what you deserve. For sure. Absolutely. And I think um, just to reiterate too, what Sierra said that, you know, you're explaining yourself perfectly. And I want to, to sort of make sure that we're understanding that like the reality is, is that we white folks are so deeply entitled to our comfort, right? Yes. We feel such a deep in- entitlement to comfort that anything that comes outside of the bounds of that is dismissed very quickly. Even though your boyfriend, John, may have listened to you at some point, right? There's a limit that, that white folks often experience when they want when people are talking to them about race. And to be clear, white folks have been hearing things loud and clear from right. black indigenous people of color for a very long time in ways that are very clear and very convincing and choosing not to believe it, right? So 
I want to put the onus for this on him and not that you are in any way not doing this in the right way. And I also just want to say that that is such a, a challenging thing to be going through yes. um, to not only be in relationship with people that, but which is hard enough, but also being in relationship that is involved in sort of this, this reality of white people's inability or um, lack of practice in deeply understanding racialized trauma. Yes. Like we are just not good at it. We ref- right. like, we are not practiced um, and does your boyfriend have the capacity to do that? Yes, he does, right? We all have the capacity to learn and change and grow new tools. Is it your job to teach him to do that? I don't think so, right? Like, I don't want you to feel like your relationship has to be a teaching moment for your boyfriend in every mm. in every interaction, right? I want you to be with somebody who's going to be able to hear what you're saying about the mass graves at the the schools, at the residential schools, and say, that is so horrifying I can't understand that because it hasn't happened to me. And also, I deeply want to know how this is impacting you. Yes. Not for you to say, I'm going through this deep grief about my my relations and the the schools that my that my grandfather went to. Right. And have to explain to him, too, that like he has to care about things that are outside of his own experience. Right. Right. Like that is such a, a dual burden that that you're being placed with in this relationship right now. Right. Totally. So my blind date for today, I'm so incredibly excited to share because it was just like a life changing blind date, but I'm going to save it, but I'm going to share something from it. Um, uh, The speaker in it, um, their name is Alok Vadmanan, and they talk in this blind date that I'm going to share in a little bit about our human instinct to want to understand something first that, oh, well, much of our um, prejudice, much of our apathy comes from not understanding something. And we say, oh, well, I just don't understand it. Or I need to uh, understand, help me understand why it is blah, 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 Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like you said, because when something doesn't affect them, you know, blah, blah, Um, And Alok says that what we need to shift as humans is that we need to question our desire to understand something before we honor its humanity. Mm -hmm. So we need to have compassion before we comprehend something, right? And I think that is such a good move. Um, and maybe this is something that you can utilize in, in future conversations with your boyfriend if you choose to. You can say, mm-hmm. you don't have to understand. I'm not going to put in the emotional labor of making you understand my experience. I need you to, honor, I need you to see me and, mm-hmm. and have compassion for my human experience that isn't yours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Because... Are especially as white people, our desire to understand, to own, to to fully mm-hmm. in you know to like embody something before we can relate to it, before mm-hmm. we have compa- you know before we extend our wallets and our compassion. Um, that mm-hmm. that is a um, passive violent violence right there. You know, mm-hmm. it's an ambivalence. It's like. No, we should strengthen the muscle that sees humanity first, that everybody has a right to live and thrive and, 
you know, um, not be forced to endure and or relive trauma. You know, everybody should have space to um, experience their emotions and have their emotions validated. Or like Alok says in their interview as a non, um, a trans feminine, non-binary person, you know, they should have a right to walk down the street without being spit on. That that is like a simple extension of humanity that my compassion should come first. And I believe, you know, Mm -hmm. I think that is like such a great reminder for us. And maybe that is a framework that you can use to talk to your boyfriend if you choose to do that labor. For sure. Absolutely. And I also just want to say too, um, you know, when you talk about, am I really going to end this relationship because it comes because of our races? And I want to push back on that and say, you know, if you end this relationship with your boyfriend, you're not ending it because he's white. You are ending it because he's white and doesn't have the tools to be able to understand your experience. Right. right? So it is not about like, oh, I can't date a white man. It is about the fact that your partner is not is either ill-equipped or not willing to engage or not willing to build up those practices to be able to really understand something outside of his experience. And that is something that a lot of white folks do, but it's not you're not breaking up with him because you're white, because he's white. It's because he's not bringing his full understanding and compassion for you and the experiences of uh, your relatives and and the culture that you grew up in in a meaningful way. Right. So I want to let you off the hook for that one. I want to say you're not breaking up with him because he's white. You are breaking up with him because he's not showing up in the relationship right. in the way that you need him to. If you choose to do so. And also reframe that question. The question is not, am I going to break up because our race is? It's, am I going to break up because my boyfriend is not honoring my humanity? Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's, again, like, you have a right to exist here. All of this is valid. You're not asking too much. You are asking for basic humanity. Mm Mm-hmm. My darling, yeah. we love you so fucking much. <laughs> Sorry, we just like stared Clearly. at each other. We were like, we had a conversation silently. Like, are we done? You want to say something else? Um, yep. We love you. And um, we love your growth. And we love um, your your pain. We honor all of that. And we want you to make space for yourself, um, even when it's mm-hmm. uncomfortable. Um, and we're so, so sorry that you have been forced to relive this horrific trauma that was enacted on you and your people. Absolutely. We hope that this helps. Thank you so much for writing. We love you. All right, everyone. This brings us to the blind date segment of our episode. This is when we want to set you up with something we think you're really going to like. This week, we want to send you home with... All right, y'all. This is a podcast episode um, from the podcast Man Enough, um, brought to you by Justin Baldoni. He was the lead in um, Jane the Jane Virgin, the right? Um, he's been doing a lot of work around masculinity and de- deconstructing that. What does it mean to be a man? Blah, 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 blah. Um, but I have to, I, full transparency, I've not listened to a single other episode. Like, <laughs> I'm not endorsing the podcast. Um, I'm heavily, heavily, heavily endorsing this one episode. In fact, I use the words, I demand you listen to it to Sam before we started <laughs> Um, I'm truly so excited to share this with you because I felt like my world perspective was altered by this podcast. It's just over an hour. Um, it's again, an interview with Alok Vedmenon. They are a non-binary trans feminine, like activist, writer, poet, 
um, performance artists. And I actually recognize them um, just from like seeing them in queer spaces online before I'd ever heard them speak. And they just blew my fucking mind. Um, (laughs) It was a beyond transformative interview. um, And it was... I want everybody to listen to it, number one, because ev- everybody can get something from it from uh, for all different avenues of your own life. Like um, Alok was talking um, specifically, but also generally about masculinity, about non-binary folks, about the history of um, gender and how you know clothing became gendered and and things like that, um, and and that that sort of oppressive dance that that turned into like gendered clothing and transphobia and things like that um but really the the interview made me reflect on so many things in my life and i consider myself a proud um progressive a proud like pro all human you know like humanist right you know like i believe mm-hmm. in people's humanity and it helped me unroot some existing uh, patriarchy within me, right? Like I, Mm. we are all products of these systems that we we are brought up in and the liberation, you know, is a continual act, right? And they, the way they phrased some things and, and the wonderful ideas they enlightened us with unrooted something in me and I was happy to unroot it, right? Like it shifted my perspective and brought me both clarity and healing. And it was just fucking such a good fucking interview. (laughs) I like literally just straight up changed who I am. Um, I love that. Yeah. So uh, it is the Man Enough podcast. The episode is featuring Alok Vedmenen. You can find Alok on Instagram, I'll spell it out, A-L-O-K-V-M-E-N-O-N. And I think that their work is incredibly important right now for so many reasons. If you have ever questioned the trans experience, if you've ever questioned, like, why people want non-binary pronouns, if you've ever felt resistance to that, like, you know, like, your compassion is there, but you're like, I just, it's hard, or I don't understand. But also, like, if you just want to learn how to be, like, a better person, and like to honor everyone's humanity because everybody deserves compassion. Period. Okay, so longest yes. blind day ever, but I'm just I I could Great. not. I can't. Like Sam is. I demand that he listen to it. <laughs> I will listen to it. Yes, it's been okay. referred to me by multiple people. <laughs> I'm so sorry I will. to go off on it, but it was just <laughs> so mind altering. Like I honestly, I'm so glad that I listened to it before having children. Like, that's how Mm. core shifting it was for me. Um, Anyway. So, uh, yeah, that's the blind date. (laughs) Great. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. You can like us on Facebook and you can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at JustBreakUpPod. You can slide into our DMs, send us your favorite relationship meme, but most importantly, you can submit your questions about all matters of the heart at justbreakuppod.com, which is also where you can find our uh, merchandise. Shout out to international shipping. Bye, 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 bye. Yay. <laughs>
Remember to hit that follow button so that you can get a new episode every Monday exclusively on Spotify and consider supporting us on Patreon. If you support us on Patreon for as little as $5 a month, you'll get an additional bonus weekly episode. That's patreon.com slash justbreakuppod. This literally keeps the mics on and helps us reach more brokenhearted souls who need two random strangers giving them relationship advice. Original music, producing, editing, recording, all magical things by our great friend, Spencer Worth Davis. Make sure to check out his music on Spotify under the name Big Cats. And remember, now is the time to release yourself from the heaviness of your regrets. Now is the time to revoke the permission you gave yourself to punish yourself for your mistakes. You are enough. Right now, flaws and all, you are worthy of being loved, worthy of being listened to, and worthy of being cherished, especially by yourself. And if all else fails, just break up. <laughs>